0: Hello, listener. You may recognize this voice and you may not. This is Elgin Strait, host of Falling Out. And this here is a very special episode. It's a joint episode that I recorded with Brian and Troy from the podcast, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Brian and Troy started their podcast about the same time that I started this one, Falling Out. And Brian and Troy came from a Christian fundamentalist background in their youths. And now in their adulthood, they run a podcast talking about their experiences, how it affected them, and offering a shining light to folks who have suffered under similar circumstances. And if any of that sounds familiar to people who know my show, it's because it is similar ground. For those that are hearing my voice for the first time, my show Falling Out is about leaving a cult called the Unification Church, also commonly known as the Moonies. And as you'll hear in this episode, There are a lot of similarities between both groups, myself and Brian and Troy. Number one, we had a blast recording this. It was great, but I think we learned from each other and I think our audiences can learn from each other as well. So here we have a special bonus episode of Falling Out and I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Coincidentally, both shows are on mini hiatus between seasons now, but we wanted to do this jointly as a Christmas surprise to our joint audiences. So without further ado, here it is. Falling Out with a Teenage Fundamentalist on Christmas Day. All right, welcome. Uh, We have here with me uh, Brian and Troy from the podcast, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Um, This is a podcast that I've been a fan of. Uh, This is Elgin Straight from Falling Out, by the way. This is a podcast that I've been a fan of. Um, And I wanted to pair up with these guys to um, talk about a lot of things. We have a lot of similarities. Uh, Christmas is one thing that I thought would make for an interesting topic of conversation. Um, So why don't we start off Brian and Troy, can you introduce yourselves and then we'll do a bit of a vice versa because this is going to go on both episodes. Yeah, totally cool. And you know,
1: the thing we have in common is Jesus, obviously. Um, the the centre of Christmas, the Christ. So I'm Brian from I was a teenage fundamentalist, and Elgin, we've we've listened to Falling Out as well. Um, love your work. Love the the fact that you do dive into some stuff that is tricky. Sometimes it's tricky mm. to to navigate, and I think you do it in a very similar way to us. Is use a bit of dark humour to navigate. Mm-hmm that stuff so mm-hmm. we do appreciate it and I, I think there is some synergy with what we do so we really appreciated I think first was last year you reached out to us to, um, to do this and we had some stuff come up that we couldn't do it so we thought let's do it this year yeah. so I think it's it's a fantastic thing. It's gonna be a bit of fun. I think we're gonna to, to compare some scars, but also compare some of the ridiculousness that sat around Christmas in both of our traditions and uh, really looking forward to it. But I might throw to Troy.
2: Yeah, hey. So yeah, my name's Troy. I am the other half of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. I, I don't know what else to say, really. Brian sort of said it all, but I, I will say it's it's cool to be here. I love doing crossovers um, because usually it, for us anyway, it ends up with an ongoing connection after the podcast with yes. with other podcasters. And so, yeah, cool. And And thanks for having us on your show, Elton. Yeah. It's really good to be here.
0: No worries. No worries. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. It's always been every single podcaster that I've connected with and done crossovers. we always stay in touch afterwards. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's a really positive connection to make. It's awesome. So I'm delighted to be, to be doing that with you guys. Um, and I agree with everything, everything you said about the, the sort of synergies between the shows, like the first, actually, I just want to say the, I think it was in one of your early earlier episodes. Um, you know, you guys were just talking about like, like the, the insane like guilt and shame around sexuality that you guys experienced in your uh in your in your lives um and you um you mentioned this uh this moment where someone I for, I forget who who I forget which one of you it was but someone mentioned that you were told um <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face that um <laughs> that like the the patron demon of oral sex was named the succubus yeah it's <laughs> look it's it's legitimate elgin Um, I, I you know don't i think you've got a mocking
1: spirit right now mocking succubus because succubus is the demon of oral sex
2: yeah it was it was actually brian that said that to me when we were in church but he said it to me as if can you believe this and i can i can remember who was the guy brian he was a, a new zealand basically like a demonologist in the in the Penti scene. Can you remember who it was?
1: I, I can't remember who it was. Um, and uh, unless it was Don McDonnell or something like that. There was no there was no, it a was guy. it was somebody, Sorry. it was
2: somebody semi-famous in the in the Pentecostal scene. Yeah, and you came to me one day and you said, Do you know what he says the name, the 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 demon of oral sex is? I said, What? And he goes, and you go, succubus. And then we just wet ourselves because it was just so convenient, <laughs> right? That that's of course it's called succubus, of course it is. Or no, the demon and, of and, and,
1: masturbation and, is wankubus. Well,
2: it's wankubus. No, I was no. actually thinking I was actually no, it's thinking not. Okay. No, it's not. No, the, the demon of the demon of the missionary position is actually frontus. <laughs> and anal sex up. is
1: coitus. <laughs> oh. But for you Patreon subscribers of of Elgin's podcast, you will see our faces, and you will see this. This is whiskey. It's a
0: large glass. So by the time I get through this, things may even get sillier. Oh, good. Okay, good. No, no, that's great. Actually, I wanted to. So it's it's morning my time, evening your time. This is coffee on my side. Um, I wasn't sure what you were what you were drinking, but that's that's great, and that's that's uh, that happens on my show. From 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 time to time as well um yeah and
1: look i think we, one thing we'd really like to draw out for yeah. listeners of both our podcasts is you're mm-hmm. missing church in the morning and we're missing church in the evening <laughs> so the sacrifice we're making for people to
0: listen to these podcasts is enormous it's big yeah, that's right it's big there's sunday one morning one so less... this is a sunday morning that this is happening on
2: yeah and there's one less mansion in heaven for all of us for skipping <laughs> that service <laughs>
0: Um, can we just, so yes, after that, um, succubus introduction, I just had to say like, like when I listened to your show, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my God, I love these guys. And it's just so, I never heard the tale of the succubus in that, in that way, but, but that level of, um, just assigning, assigning guilt, uh, and, and, um, and shame to all of these things was, was so, similar to what, what we experienced so i just felt a kind of a kinship with what you were what you were talking about and i think ev- everything that you guys talk about on your show kind of parallels a lot of stuff that that happened to us as kids in the moonies um so i just felt like there was there was sort of a strong kinship um and i guess i'd love for you guys to just kind of explain a little bit about where you where you where you come from and um give kind of two minutes on your show
2: yeah hey hey before we do that i just yeah. want to also you know resonate with what you're saying about sexuality because one of the things that has come up in the last two years of us doing this podcast is my realizing how much the experience did mess me up sexually. Mm. I, I knew it, I knew it did to a point and I knew as, you know, as an adult and as someone that, you know, is quite reflective, I knew it must've, but I think this last couple of years has really demonstrated to me that this did really mess me up sexually. And that I still, as, as a 52, 52 year old man, now I still carry some of those scars and some of that Mm. um, messed upness, if that's the term from, from being involved in all that. So I don't think, you know, what, what's that line? You know, no one gets out of here alive. I don't think any of us really get out of there without some baggage, but I feel that sexually, my experience in both, I was in two groups. I was in one called the Revival Centres, which was much more cultic than the second group that I was in, which was the Assemblies of God. But they were both cults, but just, you know, cult, cult, cultishness is a spectrum, right? And one was worse than the other. It doesn't make the other one not a cult. But um, yeah, the first one was really um, influenced. I'm starting to see now that the influence that they had by the Jehovah's Witnesses was actually not an accident. Um, and I started to realize that there's quite a few doctrines that the revival centers had that were very much like the the Jehovah's Witnesses and and even the shunning and and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so, in in that sense, I think the the first one set the groundwork to mess me up mm. sexually, and then the second one just threw the icing on the cake and and really messed me up.
0: Yeah. If if I can if I can ask, um, and we can you can skip this if you want, but how, what, how does that um how do those scars manifest for you now? Um, I, I personally think that would be interesting for people to hear, but again, we can, we can skip over that if you want up to you.
2: Did, did you want me to show?
0: Sure. <laughs> I've got this rash.
2: <laughs> for the audio listeners, he just now.
0: nearly pulled down his trousers. Um, yeah, no, he, for, for the audio <laughs> listeners, he didn't nearly do
2: it. He just <laughs> pretended to nearly do it. Yeah. Um. Oh man. You know, where to begin? Um. I, I think it really, became clear to me, we had a guy by the name of Tom Tilly, who's uh, quite a high profile journalist in Australia who grew up in the Revival Centre, the same group that I was in at first. And when I read his book, it just, sex was such a, a massive theme in his book. And I could see the way that he was just, and you know, when I asked him on the interview, we had him on our show and I said, do you think this has messed you up sexually? He goes, no, not really. And I thought, oh dude, sorry, but you're wrong, mm. right? Like read your book, you know? Um, and and I think that's when I really reflected and went, yeah, I'm probably even worse than him, and so I'm quite messed up too. Specifics, I don't know, man. I I I think you know I'm I'm in a very loving relationship with my wife. We've got kids. Um, you know, I I enjoy sex. I'm you know normal in that sense. But I I I think some of my thought processes around it, and some of the way I think I I, I elevate sex even still. I think I still consider it to be much more than just a physical act and mm. even much more than just a an act you know in, in a loving relationship that can be you know quite emotional I think even though I don't consider myself to be a super spiritual person you know I'm I'm bordering on atheism in my agnosticism is where I sort of exist but I think I still have this what is now more conscious pinning of a spiritual meaning to sex, mm. then I think I, I would have had otherwise. I think that's one of the things I do. I think the other thing too, though, is we would often assign the demonic to sex, you yeah. know, whether that's because, you know, like homosexuals were massively controlled by demons or prostitutes were crossroads for, for demons and passing demons onto people and all this kind of stuff. So, mm. so I think there was you know there's that whole sort of demonic side which brings a negative spirituality to it yeah more than a positive spirituality so yeah man you did ask yeah Yeah. Uh,
0: no and well and yeah just to give you some context there so two things come to mind um i mean we you know we were told this so-called and uh, we can talk a little bit about the some, some of the terminology i'm using here in a second if you want but you know we were told that we were this uh sinless lineage born without original sin due to the growing up and sorry being born into the moonies uh and if we ever um had sex with someone who was not the the spouse that was chosen for us by the movement uh then we would go into go to the pits of hell uh to like we were told go to a place worse than hitler uh in hell if we were to ever um you know ever to do that Um, and we were also, you you talked about this, this idea of this, uh, you know, prostitutes being the crossroads of demons, that uh, one thing that we heard as kids is that, um, this, this is, this is like the, this is like the, the masturbatory version of that, I guess, is like, um, uh, if you, if, if you ever, um, if you ever fantasize, if you ever looked at, looked at porn and, um, fantasized about a woman, um and had a wank um I, I guess it would work for men as well quite honestly but um um uh if you ever did that then you would be connected to that person in the spirit world when you passed away by by these black tentacles um so they had these you had this this, this imagery of like anytime you did that you'd be connected for all eternity to, to that person uh and so the implication there is twofold like think about all the all the other people that that person is connected to by these black tentacles but also think about the people that you're connected to being dragged down by these black tentacles uh and actually just explaining that and and you know putting this evocative imagery in my head talking about it just gives me the the heebie-jeebies just talking about it um so i I think um
1: claudia schiffer would be in trouble yeah. Um, in the 80s with all the boys that had a, a wank <laughs> over it. And for our listeners, you will identify that, you know, because Troy did have many pictures of Claudia Schiffer uh, when the internet first came. I did. I, a, I was came. an early
2: adopter of the internet. Oh, here we go. And I a of Claudia okay. Schiffer in, in bikinis and stuff. Oh, okay. sure. yeah. See, yeah. that sounds to me, Elgin, that sounds to me really unfair. Because if if I have some sort of, you know, masturbatory um, fantasy about Claudia Schiffer, I'm connected to her through these black tentacles. But that's not fair for her.
0: No, but because it is because because she because she, she took the photos. She puts herself uh, out there. She right. put herself out there. She put herself out there. Yeah. Look, it, it all goes back to okay. she ate the
1: fruit. It's, it's pretty. Simple. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Descendant no, yeah, of Eve, yeah. but Fair I enough. think the whole the whole sexual stuff too. Though, like, I mean, it's it's compounded. I was a child of the the early eighties in my teen years, where AIDS was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Australia, they ran some really graphic campaigns of the Grim Reaper, who, wow. yeah, and they just spoke about AIDS, and they had had the Grim Reaper bowling, and the bowling pins were people, and this was a government ad, and the Grim Reaper would bowl down these bowling pins and these people would just fall over and essentially die of AIDS. So you had this really unhealthy sexual message coming from mm-hmm. the government around. It wasn't just about use protection, it was don't fuck because you'll yeah. get AIDS and you will die. So it was it was really unhealthy and then late 80s as a 17-year-old I came into the Pentecostal church which doubled down on that yeah. and the, the purity culture message and talking about those soul ties that you would have with people um if you did anything with them. Wasn't even didn't have to be penetrative sex. It could be mm-hmm. anything with them that you ended up tied to. So I think, you know, that there, there's some incredibly unhealthy messages that that travel with you. And and what ends up happening, and Troy and I have spoken about this many times, is you have these Really unhealthy sexual um, outlets or, or frustrations or um, particularly when you stop going to church and you might just go and resow your wild oats and do whatever you're going to do because you're proving a point. Yeah. Um, you, you're going out there and basically, you know, thumbing your nose at what you've been taught and what you've been indoctrinated with through the church. and And it's equally as unhealthy flipping yeah. the other way. So the pendulum swings.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree and I've kind of been through some of that. I don't know, I don't know exactly where I am now, but uh, yeah, I've I've I I recognize a lot of that. Um can we actually just go back? We've kind of d- jumped right in without without properly setting the scene. Can I ask you guys to just spend a couple minutes just kind of setting the scene about about you guys your your experience and your show um and then maybe we'll flip it and I'll do, I'll do the same for for your audience.
2: All right, cool. Yeah, so um My name's Troy. As I said before, I was, I started off in the Revival Centers International, which was a Pentecostal. Uh, cult that had started here in Australia, and that ties its, you know, that that has its its ties and its roots in in Pentecostalism in general. But in about the nineteen late nineteen fifties, they broke away from most other Pentecostal groups in Australia and became the Revival Centers International, and had some unique beliefs. And you know, I mean, it's not unheard of that sort of thing happens a lot in in Pentecostal churches around the world, even still, that they will come out of more to, sort of more mainstream, become more extreme. Um, And then uh, I left that in about 1988. Um, I, sorry to jump back into the sex side, but Mm. I committed what's called fornication in our in our group uh with the idea of getting kicked out so I could leave the group because I knew it wasn't really good. And that's oh, when so they you, told me that I was
0: you did it intentionally yep. it was it was okay I did it intentionally and dobbed myself in. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um and and then they told me, oh by the way, we've we've we don't make this public, but we've actually decided that if you have sex um before marriage or outside of marriage, you're gonna go to hell. So that I didn't see that coming. Right. So that really <laughs> messed me up. For the longest time. Yeah. And and just oh. also to point out, I wasn't born into this. I got recruited through school. So there was Christian oh. groups at school, and this was one of them. And um wow. yeah, so I, I got I got pulled in through school. At a public school, uh, just like a normal. At public a public school. school. Wow. Yeah. At a wow. public school. Um and then um I sort of hit the clubs and, you know, did that for a long time, just as Brian was just saying, thumbing my nose at the um at the revival centers and just really had a couple of experiences that Sort of scared me, and there was a lot of unresolved stuff, Elgin, in in my, in my psyche and myself that I, I hadn't resolved. I'd walked out of the church, but I'd never sort of gone into sort of any deconstruction, deprogramming, um, deconversion, anything like that. And so when I hit these experiences, it sort of scared me, and I went back to church. And then I spent okay. another another whole heap of years, really, um, in in the Assemblies of God. I'll let Brian tell his story and then maybe we'll tell you about how the uh, podcast came about.
1: Sounds good. Uh, Yeah, look, my story is I I think I touched on it and what I was saying just before I was 17, um, I I hadn't been brought up in any sort of church upbringing whatsoever. Uh, I've got a lot of older siblings who did go to, you know, that they were nominal Catholics essentially. So that's how they got introduced. But by the time I came along, It was many years had passed and my parents no longer had anything to do with church, so I was never indoctrinated. But I came in through a couple of brothers who had got involved in the Pentecostal church. So there's a a couple of big brands of Pentecostalism in Australia back in the late 80s when I came into it, and that was the Christian City Churches um, and the Assemblies of God. And this was a Christian City Church, which I got involved with basically on and off uh, there. And my, my Pentecostal journey was relatively short. It was probably less than five years. And then it was really evangelicalism that I fell into. As I was deconstructing my way out, it was a very long deconstruction of probably 15 years. Uh, there were critical points in time when I knew I didn't believe. Um, I was married and had a couple of children in the church but sort of drifted out quite when they were quite young. The kids were relatively young and then I ended up getting divorced about 12 years ago and it was at that time that I used the time to break away. So I Mm. cut away, which is a very common story, I think. People, their marriages break down or relationships break down and they use the opportunity to to get out and that's exactly what I did. But Troy and I have been friends for over 30 years. So th- that's how we, that was, uh, I guess we had some shared trauma, shared scars, and mm. um, we used to catch up despite, you know, I'd, I'd moved to another state in Australia, Troy had lived in Asia for 12, 13 years, and we we loosely kept in contact, but we probably more so about probably around the time my marriage broke down, we we were in contact more and we started to really talk more in depth in not only in the last three, four years about what were our experiences and I guess trying to work out what it was. And it was Troy who one day said to me, Hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I went, yeah, why not? And here we are a couple of years on and, could not have anticipated the amount of people that would connect and identify mm. and be just as messed up as we are, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I can identify with that. Why don't I? Um, I got a couple of things I want to address there, but I'll kind of start with the beginning of my story just to contextualize everything. So that would um, be amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was born into. Uh, the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, um in the 80s. Uh, my parents, so my parents were recruited into that cult in the 60s and 70s. Um they were uh matched and married by uh Reverend Sun Myung Moon, um, who, as part of his grand ambitions, uh, created this generation, uh, this is a second generation of of kids like me. Uh, there are thousands of us around, around the world. Um and I, yeah, so I grew up in that cult, had some uh, very bizarre and abusive experiences. Um, so in many cases, similar to what what you guys have experienced on your show, and um, kind of left mentally. I I found out that Moon had illegitimate children, um, which is a big no no in his in his. Um, in his worldview uh when i was about 18. uh so i kind of left mentally i left the cult then um but there's a ton of pressure to marry someone from within the cult uh and so i i still accepted an arranged marriage at the age of 22 to someone in the cult um and we were together for about 14 15 years um leading me to about four or five years ago uh where we split up um so we similar um, similar to you, you know, we, we split up and and I kind of feel like even though I had left and thankfully she wasn't active in the cult during that time as well. She had also kind of we were on the same page when we both left kind of saying, hey, if we could make this marriage work. Wouldn't it be great? Our, like, our parents would be happy. Hopefully we'll be happy, blah, blah, blah. But when that marriage dissolved, that's when I kind of I feel like I kind of left for the second time and for the, the for for real that time, because all the everything like my marriage was really built on this idea that like I had to be with this person because the church said I had to. Um, and so when that dissolved, then I, then I felt like I really started to deconstruct and I, and I had this moment where I was like, what the hell happened to me? I've just, I, I've, I've spent the first half of my life in this thing effectively. So what was that thing? Um, and I, I did a lot of therapy, um, read, read a lot of books, started taking courses just to understand cults. And, um, and i guess about three years ago now it kind of it occurred to me that um for people who grew up in cults um simply sharing their experiences um it is a way to share a collective knowledge that the cult does not want people to share if you if you simply share stories about what happened to you in the cult and why you left um there is a ton of value for people that are still in it um for them to to hear those stories because when people left the cult, when I was a kid, they would just disappear and you never knew, you never knew why they left. Uh, and so, and that's intentional. Um, so for me, just capturing those stories seemed to be a pretty high value activity. So um, I decided I wanted to start a podcast and just talk to people about what they experienced in the cult and why they left. Uh, and then the the, the the third pillar is um, how do you rebuild your life after, after leaving? um so i started capturing those stories and i released it well i am i released it nearly 2 years ago now uh that's when season 1 of my show falling out started um i just i wrapped up season 3 earlier a couple months ago uh season 4 will be coming sometime in 2023 um and yeah it's really about focusing on on those experiences and i guess similar to um to what you've described i've just been blown away by the um uh, by the response, um, multiple people have left the cult as a result of of listening, which is a, a huge win, um, massive, massive win. Um, and beyond that, many other people just kind of say, hey, I like and th- these aren't even people who grew up in the cult, but people who, for instance, um, were impacted by the purity culture movement um, will say, well, they'll write and just say, wow, I really I feel like I've learned so much listening to you to your show. Um, I resonate incredibly with what you said and i I don't feel so alone in this world because i know that there are other people who've who've gone through it and it's it's blown me away the resonance that it's had beyond the ex-mooney community um with you know just other people who've grown up in similar controlling environments um so elgin for our
1: listeners who may not be as familiar with um the moonies it'd be great for you to give a bit of a how does the moonies differ from the evangelical movement, for example, like, what are some of those defining points? Because it is a cult, um yes. and you, you yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, even when most of our listeners were in the fold, uh, they would have gone, "Oh, Moonies, my, the bunch of weirdos," mm-hmm. without looking in the mirror themselves, of course. um So, it'd be good to to understand what what's
0: a Moonie? What do they believe? What's their core? <laughs> okay. um I'm going to try and condense it. Um, I actually have videos on YouTube that try and explain this. So I'll, I'll put the links to that in the, in the show notes. Um, okay. Where to, wait, yeah, let's, let's, let's go quickly here. So, okay. Um, uh, first of all, in terms of historical context, um, Sun Myung Moon was born in 1920 in what is now North Korea. Uh, when he was 16, he claims he had a revelation from God telling him that, it, um, telling him the following, um, the original sin was not uh adam and eve eating a fruit it was um it was eve seducing lucifer uh and then seducing adam um and therefore all of human suffering comes from that initial act of illicit sex that's kind of the foundation um, dirty hole dirty uh, hole yeah, exactly exactly um and, and um all human suffering comes from that moment where people were meant to have a sort of so-called pure blood lineage, but they went against God. They, they did that act. And all of human suffering comes from that act of that, from that act effectively. Um, fast forward, you know, many thousands of years, uh, Jesus came to the, to the earth. Uh, his, his job was to create a new blood lineage on earth. Um, and, um, he failed in that mission. This is, this is where things start to differ, differ dramatically. Um, so he failed his, his mission, um, because he was crucified. Uh, he was, he was not meant to be crucified. He was meant to, to create this pure blood lineage. Uh, but because the Israelites crucified him, um, he was not able to do that. Uh, and that plunged humanity into another 2000 years of suffering. Um, until, uh, the providential conditions had been set for the Messiah to be born in, can you guess where? I'm guessing Korea. Correct. Correct. <laughs> the The northern half of the Korean peninsula was the one place where the providential historical conditions had been met for the Messiah to be born. Uh, so uh, If I'm honest, it, uh, that makes sense. I mean, any <laughs> rational thinking person will go. Of course,
1: Korea and Northern Korea, of course, because that's where all sane things come from.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, ha- having lived in Korea, it would make sense if you were Korean, because it is the it's- center of the world.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, so here's the thing. So the whole, the whole the theology really ties into Korean nationalism. So, so what? So that what this means is the theology is a uh, is an amalgamation of like hardcore Christian christian or sorry hardcore korean nationalism um sort of judeo christian like values at the at at the core um but also paired with this messianic complex that moon had um and over time just to kind of complete the story so that was kind of like that was the genesis of it um uh what that's led to is um moon effectively um That's what he says the theology was and that's what all of us were born or born born with and and are dealing with now still to this day um but he he turned all that into this um this web this constellation of of front groups um that uh served to finally money and political power to him and to his family um so they started the washington times a newspaper in the u.s um they own um many many businesses in in the us and europe if you eat sushi uh there's a 90 percent chance that it's come from a mooney run business so they pretty much dominate uh sushi distribution in those ge- geos I, in australia i don't know um uh they have their hands in many many different pies um and I, in, in a way i kind of think calling it a religion is almost it's almost like an, an intentional it's, it's an intentional red herring it's kind of it's there to like distract you from the fact that it's actually this business empire effectively um um and just to kind of bring it now to the to the to the present day um and then i'll, I'll kind of wrap up um but so well yeah that, those are some of the, the the tenets of the religion that's some, some of some of the history and the context um but for your listeners who aren't aware um, uh in july of this year i think it was july uh shinzo abe the the uh ex japanese prime minister was assassinated um, the reason he, he was assassinated by someone who grew up in the Unification Church, uh, and that person, his name was Tetsuya Yamagami. His original target um, is Sun Myung Moon's wife. Uh, so Moon died in 2012, leaving leaving the, the the keys to the car with his with his wife Hak Jahan. Uh, this this kid who grew up, oh uh, kid, he's about my age now. Um, uh, he grew up in in the Moonies, Um he wanted to assassinate Hak Jahan, and he couldn't get to her, um, but he could get to Abe. Uh, and the reason that the reason that Abe is a target, and this I think is is really important people to understand, is the Moody's uh, part of their, their their front groups are these these um, these organizations that have really innocuous sounding names. They sound they sound and they look like legitimate NGOs. So things like the International Relief Friendship Foundation, the Women's Federation for World Peace, the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, all these sort of innocent, innocuous sounding organizations that have websites that look look and make them legit um they will host these events where they pay um they pay vips to come and speak at these events um uh and the vip they don't really say much they give these kind of innocent sounding pl- platitude full um speeches um and what's happening there is um and so okay so yeah so uh, I'll tell you what's happening there, but it's important to note Shinzo Abe has spoken at these events. Uh, Donald Trump has spoken at these events. Uh, Mike Pompeo in the U.S., uh, Newt Gingrich in the U.S., tons and tons of people. It's like um, many, many uh, former heads of state will speak at these events. Um, It just kind of gets on their roster of of speaking events to go to. Um, They get paid to go there they speak at these events and then what happened this is this is what happened the moonies and th- this is what's not apparent from the outside um the moonies will then go to their members and say oh look shinzo abe just spoke at one of our events this is evidence that god's providence is working through us uh the the vip's in this world are accepting us this shows that we were right um that that our doctrine is right uh and and it's used as as evidence of of um of the correctness of the, the providence effectively um uh and so what that means is that it it's used to convince people to to stay in this cycle of abuse where they are continuing to dedicate their time and their money to the organization and in the case of Tatsuya Yamagami his mother um was his mother was coerced in do- into donating all of her money was over seven hundred thousand um, dollars over over her over over the course of I think a couple decades that she had donated, uh, which meant that he didn't go to university, his family lived in poverty, um, uh, all to give money to the Moonies. And um, what's happening is is Abe by lending credence to the Moonies. Uh, is helping to keep his mother in this cycle of abuse, as well as thousands of other people. Um, so that's why Abe was the target in in Japan, and this is still going on to this day. Uh, this is an issue that I feel very passionately about; should be stopped. And everyone who who appears at these events is guilty. They are they are guilty as sin. They they have blood and tears on their on their hands. Um, and sorry, okay, I'm going to stop stop with my rant there. That's kind of bringing it into the present day.
2: So so Elgin without sidetracking where Mm. you you wanted to take this yeah is did they call themselves a unification church is that got something to do with the unification of north and south korea or is that Mm.
0: just yeah that's a great question that's a great question so um yeah part of it is they believe that part of restoring the world um uh because korea is a providential nation obviously um uh being and obviously you guys seem convinced of that of that fact now um, um I, i'm on board <laughs> uh they for the world to be united requires a united korea um so uh when they say unification they mean a couple of things one of them is unifying the korean peninsula um uh one of them is they they have this concept of unifying christianity under um allegiance to moon um, so creating a, a new brand of Christianity that all um yeah reports up into moon as the as the messiah. Um so there's a couple couple of different levels to that so-called unification effectively.
2: Because one of the so, things that I think is interesting, right? And having having lived in Korea, I lived in Korea for two years as, okay. as an English teacher. That was a, a phase I went through. Um one of the things that I think is that Korea is a very homogenous culture. Korea is a very um xenophobic culture. Uh, at least it was when I was there. And Korea is also a very hierarchical culture. Mm. And so the, the thing that I think is going to sort of resonate with people from our audience, especially coming from a Pentecostal perspective, is that um, Cho Yonggi or Paul David Yonggi Cho, he ran the basically the largest up till that point anyway, was the largest single church, Christian church, Pentecostal church um, in in, in history, right? Mm-hmm. And and that was um, the, the Yoido Full Gospel Church. Mm. And that, that was an AOG church. And I think it's interesting. Okay. And a, a lot of people looked at, at Korea from an Assemblies of God perspective and, and from a Pentecostal perspective as how do we replicate this? Mm. How do we take what they have done and replicate this around the world? And so um, Cho's church was extremely... Uh, lauded and held up and, and, and as a model for the way that Pentecostal churches should be. And I don't think a lot of people realize that Korea is a hotbed for cults. It I mean, is. you've got yeah, Shincheonji is, yeah. is a, is a cult that I I've, I've heard of that, that are you know rampant around the world at the moment. Yeah. You've got, um, you know, the Moonies of course, and, and others, but I think it's really interesting that, you know, we sort of look at Yoido Full Gospel, and we don't think that this could possibly be a cult as well, mm. because it's in air quotes mainstream Christian. Mm. But actually, you know, I, I think that it it makes perfect sense that such a big church um, would be would be coming out of the out of South Korea.
0: Yeah, and I I have to I mean I, I do think there is, culturally yeah, it's very hierarchically hierarchically driven. Um, very yeah there is a strong sense of sense of nationalism there i think you're you're very right about that uh and it is i know it is a hotbed of of cults uh in general and i i want to make the point that you mentioned shin Chun-ji. um uh so there's a there's an amazing photo online um I'll, I'll share it with you guys later but so in korea um the moonies have this this complex in the mountains um where they they do a, it's basically an abuse center um i Yeah, so they have a complex with a a bunch of buildings, a palace made for Reverend Moon and his family, uh, that sort of stuff in the mountains of Korea. Um, And there's a photo where um, there's the the Moonies Palace is like is maybe like midway up the mountain. Um, And towards the bottom of the mountain, there is another similar looking palace. Uh, and that is the, the Shincheonji equivalent, uh, where they've basically like Shincheonji is basically taking the Moonie's playbook, uh, and, and replicating it. There's, there's so many synergies and I've actually talked to people from Shincheonji about maybe doing a joint episode. I just haven't quite, quite done it yet, but there's a lot of synergies and I, I feel like Moon kind of set the template, uh for you know bringing korean cults to the next level and trying to go international um and shinchanji my impression is is very much trying to replicate that and i'm sure there are others that are that are trying to tap into that playbook as well yeah so, and just it... to,
2: to make it clear sorry Brian, um just just to make it clear to our listeners there was a time during covid where in korea there was an outbreak that was um you know everyone was in lockdown and and everyone was social distancing but all of a sudden there was a massive uh, COVID outbreak. And that was because Shincheonji were basically ignoring all the, um, uh, all the, all the requirements around, uh, COVID lockdown, et cetera. And so they were super spread a church. And so it was funny because from the Australian media, it was like, oh, there's a church in Korea that is ignoring. No, there's not just a church in Korea. This is Shincheonji. This is a, you know, a a, a Mooney-esque cult.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. How many people are we talking in the Moonies? Are we are we talking like there's a few hundred thousand? What are we talking globally? Good question.
0: Um, okay. So at the moment, um, I think it's far less than 50,000, um, probably less than 20,000. Um, and this, this stands in stark contracts to to some uh some numbers that are out there. There's there's one number out there which is three million, uh, which came from a woman named Eileen Barker, who's a, an academic in London who's written papers about the Moonies and other new religious movements. Uh she some people in the anti-cult world call her the queen of the apologists. Uh and and I think she deserves that title. Um, specifically, I know that um she has the 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 events that I that I spoke about earlier, these Mooney events, uh, where they fly people around the world to speak at. Um, not coincidentally Eileen Barker has spoken at those events uh so she's ta- she's certainly taken favors probably taken money from the moonies to speak at these events um so it's no surprise that she, that when the moonies tell her oh we have 3 million members globally she doesn't ask any questions uh she doesn't she doesn't dig into that um so unfortunately that 3 million number i've seen parroted around the media a lot because she's kind of seen as an as an expert um but she's compromised as fuck um and I'm sure there are there are others in the apologist world that are also compromised as fuck. Um and yeah, if I had to if I had to put a number on it, I would say less than fifty thousand, probably less than twenty thousand, could even be less than ten thousand. I don't I don't know. Uh but those are it's certainly it's certainly not more than that.
1: It's it's intelligent.
0: yeah. It, yeah. It punches above its weight in terms of um in terms of influence um versus number of people. Yeah.
2: So, Elgin, could you tell me a little bit about, you know, you've got these families, and you know that well, the, a family, the the Moon family, they live in these palaces. They're flying around the world. They've, you know, in jets and, you know, driving high-end European cars. I'm sure. But what's it like for the rank and file, Mooney?
0: Mm, uh, that is a good question. Um, so. Uh, I guess to set the scene. Okay, it depends where it depends where and when they are in their life. But to give you a sense of sort of the arc of my life, and this would this some of this would be similar to to, to other folks. So, um, I was born in the early '80s, and in the U.S., um, uh, the Unification Church, um, a big hub of Unification Church activity activity. <clears throat> excuse me, was New York City. Excuse me, New York City. Um, so they owned back then and they still own now uh, a hotel in new york called the new yorker hotel uh it's right next to madison square garden for anyone's interested um so they bought it in the 70s um uh of course now it's worth many times more than what they paid for it back then um but in the 80s in the late 70s and 80s um a lot of families that were um sorry a lot of parents that were matched by moon matched and married by moon um moved into the, the New Yorker hotel in the early years. Um, so I, I grew up in that hotel as a, as a kid for the first, for the first three or four years of my life. Um, and many other kids had that experience. Um, I, I want to call out something really important here, which is I, I was lucky enough to, um, to, to live with my parents when I was a toddler. Um, but, and we talk about this on my show and w- what I think is one of the most brutal and heartbreaking aspects of the unification church um they took for many toddlers um in the late 70s and early 80s um they created these these group live-in child care facilities so kids from the age of three months old were taken to these facilities um and lived there full time <clears throat> excuse me so that their, their parents could go out and work, work full time for the church, um, and in some cases, some kids lived there for like three years and uh, didn't, didn't even know who their parents were. Um, and there are uh, certainly hundreds of kids went through this system uh, in the seventies and eighties. Maybe more than maybe more than that. It's impossible to get a an accurate figure. Um, but for me personally, that is one of the most yeah, just one of the most atrocious and brutal things that this. Organization did this thing that calls itself the Family Federation for World Peace, all about you know the strength of the family and stuff. I mean, fuck you guys, fuck you so hard. God, I'm I'm getting fucking angry and like livid just just thinking about it. Um, and we um we talk about that a lot on my show, and in particular one um uh one episode of my show um a woman who grew up in one of these facilities um has a tape a physical tape um a cassette tape um that was recorded when she was i don't know two or three years old um of her like sending a message to her mother um that's how they would communicate they would send tapes back and forth um sorry just a sec um no it's
1: it's full on, like, and, and it's not something I was aware of. Like the yeah. depth of of abuse and trauma in this yeah. group is yeah. is intense, and and mm-hmm. for you to to be where you're at, um, and be able to talk about it is a real testament to you and the strength that you show. Thank you. In being able to raise that consciousness, because I, I I do think that a lot of these things they they do remain hidden quite often. So yeah. bringing. The light of day to them is so important. So good yeah. on you
0: for doing that. Yeah. Um there's also there's one other practice that I actually I want to highlight, but I'm going to come back to that. Uh, because I want to just kind of complete sort of like the sort of standard arc. And then there's one sub sub arc that I think is really important, particularly in, in the context of what's happening in Japan right now. But um so I grew up in that hotel, uh, thankfully with my parents for the beginning part of my life. Um when I was about four or five years old, we we moved out of the hotel, got our own got our own place a little further out in New York City. Uh, and then, um, when I was seven or eight years old, um, in the like mid to late '80s, um, we moved to the DC area. Um, I lived in the suburbs of of Washington, DC. Um, my dad worked for the Washington Times. He's basically helped to start the Washington Times um, along with a bunch of other church members. So a lot of church members moved from. excuse me from new york to dc at that at that time to to help start the washington times um and by the way this is all like free labor for the church or massively below market labor um for the church uh and and so creates this 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 context where you have this community of people who are going to church on the weekends working for a church business during the week Uh, all their kids are hanging out with each other it's a very closed closed system effectively um but from the outside, um, I I grew up in the suburbs, and I went to thankfully I went to a normal public school. Uh some people didn't, um, but I did. Um, that was with the exception of one year where I went to um, effectively an indoctrination program in Korea. Korea, excuse me. So I was 13 years old. I went to, uh, like a, a boarding school in Korea, basically to learn the Korean language and culture. And again, that was one of these group facilities. So you had a a few parents caring for like 113-year-olds, I guess, like 13 to 16-year-olds, something like that. Um, But thankfully, I was a bit older when I I did that. Um, Anyway, so and then, yeah, I went to university and kind of thankfully I did that. Many people didn't. Um, I I have to say, I think I was um, probably better off than a lot of other kids uh, in, in terms of like physical circumstances. My parents were able to buy a house. Uh, in a good neighborhood which meant that I could go to a good school like we were and and many other people weren't able to do that um the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that um so financially it's it's extremely um uh abusive on well, on its members financially so um my parents were expected to tithe 10% of their pre-tax income every month um it's just just standard um but on top of that every month there's a new providential mission that requires them to give another 500 bucks or another thousand bucks for this speaking tour or that building or whatever. So there's just like layer upon layer of financial pressure. Um, and that got that's worse in Japan. So, so in Japan starts at 30% pre-tax income. Uh, it needs, needs to be given. So that's about 50% after tax for the members in Japan. Um, and then finally, the, the, the last thing I want to mention, um, um, because I think this is particularly relevant in Japan right now. So, um, in the wake of the Abe assassination, there's been a lot of scrutiny placed on the Unification Church um, uh, about all of these practices, and there's actually uh, a legal action that may revoke their, uh, effectively their, um, their nonprofit charter as a religious organization, which would be amazing. Um, and one of the pivotal, excuse me, one of the pivotal practices under, um under scrutiny there is uh the practice of coerced adoption um so and what i mean by that is you have this uh you you have this doctrine that says that only kids who were born of this blood lineage um are so-called blessed children uh only the only kids that were born of the church um are uh devoid of original sin uh and you also have a part that says okay um The only way to truly experience God's love and go to the best place in heaven is to have a so-called blessed family. So you have parents blessed by moon and a kid born without original sin. Those are two key components for going to heaven and experiencing God's love. Well, guess what? If you're a couple and you cannot conceive a kid, um, then that creates effectively demand for kids Of from other parents uh, who have these so-called blessed children, Um, because you're shit out of luck if you can't conceive. Um, You're not going to get to experience God's love, etc. So what that means is it creates this this sort of uh, creates this demand for parents to basically trade kids um, uh, into families um, that aren't able to conceive. Uh, And so that never happened in my family, but I know many people where that did happen, and in it was considered a great honor if you were a family who who offered your kid so these, these kids are called offering children if you offered your kid to another family it was considered a prestigious mm-hmm. honor you were venerated in the community sometimes you were given a, a financial reward for doing so uh, so in theory it's meant to be like parents um, volunteering to do it um, even before the kid was conceived basically saying like okay my next kid is going to be for this mm-hmm. family that was one thing that they were encouraged to do there are cases where I have I've, I've a documented case on my on my show where um, a group of pregnant women were brought on stage at a church event, um, and the church leader basically said, okay, every, everyone here um, who's pregnant, you need to give your kids away. Um, and as far as I understand, most of those parents said yes. I mean, Im- imagine the, the pressure that you're under in that, in that scenario, being in front of hundreds of people and being given that demand, given everything that I've said. And then there are other circumstances where a kid has actually been born. Uh, And someone says, and it happens a lot with church leaders, uh, where they're like, oh, like, uh, for instance, um, I'm a church leader, I've only had daughters, I really want a son, you have just had a son, well, guess what, I just had a revelation from God that tells me that you need to give me your kid. Um, And so all this is this whole... um, I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, of cases where this has happened happened worldwide. Uh, in Japan, the U.S., everywhere. I know some more people, some babies have been taken from the, from the U.S. and the U.K. over to Japan as well. Um, so it happened globally, um, and it, it's something that I'd like to highlight. And I'm going to go deeper into it on my show. But and I want to bring I want to bring exposure to it now because it feels like it's actually a, a legitimate legal vulnerability for the Unification Church in Japan. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop now. I've just been I've just taken up a lot of time, but yeah, I'm gonna stop now. No, it, it's super interesting, and and I guess
1: as I was listening to you, you, you were talking about um, quite often. You'd say, "Oh, well, but that didn't apply to me, or I didn't do that." Yeah. Were you were you in more of a progressive home in terms of of the Mooney's experience? Is that what it was, or were you were just mm. lucky?
0: A bit of both, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think a bit of both. I think I I, I, I was lucky think i was lucky in that in that my parents um <clears throat> so my parents well my parents were both educated white folks quite honestly um uh and the the church had um a need for educated white folks to be <clears throat> part of their um part of the washington times part of the part of the establishment uh, th- these were people uh who could sort of fit in with with America and 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 help to be part of that whereas um it, let's say one of my parents was was Japanese um a lot of and by the way a lot of um uh a lot of this doctrine is just to facilitate um effectively flouting immigration laws so if you're a moon and you want to get japanese workers into america the best way to do it is is to marry a japanese person to an american person problem solved that's what he did Um, those Japanese people, generally speaking, went to work in the sushi business. Um, uh, whereas the, 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 the white Americans, uh, maybe Americans of other colors as well, as well, but they would go into this sort of, uh, you know, into the, into the times, into the, into the media, into the media world because they, they fit in, in that world. Um, and so I, I think in a sense, I was actually kind of fortunate, um, because I think probably financially my family was was better off as a as a result of that than some of the folks who went into who went into some of the other businesses.
2: Elgin, one of the things that we have seen over the over the last year, maybe even a little bit longer for Brian and I, was the idea of cults and and, and the, the concepts of cults. And a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, the Hillsong The Assemblies of God, the Australian Christian churches, some of these other Pentecostal groups around the world, they're not cults. Because when we think of cults, we think of the Moonies and Mm. Jonestown and these absolute extreme, you know. And so I'm hearing the stories that you're telling, you know, forced adoption and forced marriages and, um, you know, basically stolen children. But at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of similarities, right? Right. And so what I mean is, first of all, we've got these church run businesses where you're being paid less than a standard wage or at least right on the the standard wage. Mm. And so we see a lot of that in in the churches that we came from, right? Um, A lot of people would give a lot of volunteer time. And one of the things that came up from the Hillsong uh, documentaries of late is the exploitation of volunteers, mm. and so you have a lot of these kids, a lot, and it tends to be young people more than older people, yeah. but definitely older people as well. That there's this stage that you go through where you put your life on hold, you go and work for an for the organisation, mm-hmm. um, meeting their goals, you know, being su- substandard pay, if pay at all. Yeah. Um, but where where it draws the line is, we're not seeing that extreme you know, children being taken and and that kind of stuff. H- how would you respond to that? Would you say, yeah, look, Moon Moon and his group or the Moonies, they're a cult, but yours isn't because it doesn't go that far? Or do you look back and say, well, it's a spectrum? H- how would you answer that?
0: So I think a few things. I, um, Okay, number one, I just want to make clear that the uh, paradigm that you just mentioned of sort of people at a certain point in their life working either for free or voluntarily for the organization that absolutely happened. So one piece that I didn't mention, thankfully, this didn't happen to me. Um, but kids, basically when you graduate, you graduate high school, excuse me, you're, you're encouraged in the moonies to take one, two, sometimes three years out to basically go and do one of two things, either fund fundraising or proselytizing and fundraising is basically living in a van, driving across the country, sleeping in parking lots, selling trinkets on the side of the road. Um, this is a dangerous practice kids have died doing doing this um so it's not without risk um so absolutely people are encouraged to do that um i think and where to be honest where i see the similar where i really see the similarities is the the mechanisms of control um and 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 that's where that's where i really see the resonance so for instance when i listen to your show and i and i hear about all, all the ways that sex and sexuality is used to control people and the the layers of of coercion that are that are placed upon people to 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 control them and um, that's identical to what we've to what to what we experienced um and i have to i can't say i've heard about it on your show but i i have to i have to imagine that that the financial coercion is using it's pulling on the same strings uh it's telling people that uh you know god needs you to do this the providence needs you to do this if you don't do this you're not going to go to the right place in heaven um all these sorts sorts of 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 notes they're they're the same in in both in both areas um i think the Moonies probably takes it to a further extreme it's probably more demanding um but you can you can tell they're they're cut from the same cloth right like once one's turned up to 11 and the other is up to maybe a seven or an eight um but it's the same thing when 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 I look at it, I the, the, they're on the same spectrum in terms of the ways that they that they control people. Uh, and one just happens to be a little more a little more intense, but it's the same it's the same mechanisms. So that's that's how I view it,
2: yeah, well, that's that's the, the I guess for us, the struggle in in coming to the realization that what we had been involved in were cults. Mm. I, I was actually, I, I was quite happy to say that my first group, the revival center was a cult because they, they shunned and they, they did this, and they did that. And I could list off all the the behaviors, the ultimate behaviors. And they were very similar to the Jehovah's witnesses or very similar to the Moonies or the Hari Krishnas, yeah. et cetera. Um, but I really held back calling the second group a cult um, mm. for the longest time. Like I'm talking for 20 years until Brian and I did the podcast. And that's when I went back and looked mm. and went, Ah, uh, okay, yeah, it is the same. It's just that what was um, full bo- full blown fruit in the revival center were yeah. maybe just sort of seeds and seedlings and you know branches. In if you know what I mean, it's it's yeah. a spectrum, but the tree is basically the same. Yeah. And and yeah, that's some of the struggle that we've had. So it's really interesting to to hear your stories and to hear that yes, it goes that you know I, I wouldn't say a little bit further. I would say it goes a lot further, but. But those mechanisms of control are the same, yeah. and uh, yeah, because one of the things that struck me the other day when thinking about what was going on with Hillsong um, is that these these young people are putting their lives on hold, and they are giving you know years of their lives in service, and sometimes even decades of their lives in service. Um, you know, they go to Bible college. Um, you know, but I'm sure you had training courses in, yeah. in the moonies as well. Um, it's just that ours is in air quotes, evangelicalism, which is a little bit more, you know, reputable. So it's not as yeah. bad. And, and also it's run by white people. Right. And mm-hmm. even you said there's, there was a need to have white people out the front. So we didn't yeah. look like, you know, a crazy Asian cult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I
2: find it fascinating.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think this is why I was I think there's a lot of value in people like us having conversations because a lot of times you don't you can't realize it's harder to realize those 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 threads are the same if you're talking about your own organization, but then all of a sudden you hear someone else talking about it and you're like, oh my god, that's the same thing, um, and it, for me personally, it's been really helpful just to understand that there's a. There's a common playbook at, at, you know, across human history for, for, for these sorts of organizations and people just, they, they take elements um, and, but, but the fun, the fundamental, like the, the core particles are, are, are the same, quite honestly.
2: I mean, good good science fiction does that, right? It takes it to an absolute extreme to teach you what's going on in your scenario. And, And I think that was one of the things that happened for me when I was deconstructing and I didn't realize that I was doing that. I was actually doing a lot of research into Mormonism into the Mormon church and the similarities in culture between the Mormon church and evangelicalism. are just phenomenal, but because they have these wacky beliefs, what we call wacky beliefs, yeah. um, we, we sort of dismiss them rather than drawing the parallels. But for me, as I started to see those parallels, it, um, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. And that's when I turned around and walked away, but still didn't call them a cult because mm. I, I don't know if it was just a fear in myself of what that said about me, that I'd been in two cults, not just yeah. one, um, but I, I was really hesitant. And so a lot of our audience are very hesitant to refer to their individual Pentecostal church as mm. a cult. And maybe that's because theirs wasn't. It's, it's entirely possible that theirs wasn't. But I also think there's a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know, there's a little bit of personal face saving to yeah. say, yeah, it was cultish. But it wasn't yeah. a cult. And 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 Brian and I came to this moment, you know, where we were kept saying we kept using the word cultish and say, oh, <laughs> our group is a cultish. And then one day it was like, dude, if it quacks, if it walks like a mm. duck, if it quacks like a duck, you know, it's it's not it's not ducky. It's yeah. it's a duck, <laughs> you know? And, and that was the yeah, that's what we realized.
0: So I, I just want to pick up on something there. So I, I've noticed that even amongst the the um the ex Mooney community, um, there are folks that I interact with um who are like me, you know, they they might have left 20 maybe they grew up within it in it. they left 20 years ago. um but they still hesitate to call it a cult. it's a, it's it's a difficult mental mental leap for them to take. um and and I actually think I don't know if I called it a cult uh before i got divorced i maybe i did maybe i didn't but after i got divorced and i kind of went went through this journey of deconstruction that's then i was like okay yeah that this, this is definitely a cult um but i just i think it's really fascinating just to hear that that, that not only have you know you've identified that amongst your listeners but also in yourselves that that, that hesitance to 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 give it that word and for me personally i think there's a lot of power. Once you give it a name, then you can, then you can start to understand what it was um, that happened to you. Uh, but I can also understand that the hesitancy to, to call it out. Cause it's a big, it's a big realization to come through to be like, yeah, that's what it was.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And it, it, it means that there's fault with yourself that you've mm. sort of got to really put on the table. Yeah. One thing that I, when we've been having this conversation, mm that I can't get out of my head was now I I don't know if this translates well cross-culturally, but what, do you know what mooning someone is?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, yeah. It's so it, why don't you explain for for people just just, for
1: for mooning someone is you, Uh you, turn around you drop your pants and you flash your ass <laughs> Troy is 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 attempting to do it right now and you flash your ass at someone in in Australia it's it's a little bit of a almost a wave goodbye so you have friends over dinner um you might have a couple of drinks under your belt you walk outside and as they drive off you moon them in People Australia actually do that yeah 100 yeah, 100%. yeah look wow. ta- okay Elgin Let's remember, we were a penal colony. Right. Um, we, we've, we've got problems that date back two hundred and thirty years.
2: I have to, I have to interject here and say, I, certain people from certain neighbourhoods may do this, right? <laughs> and maybe in in America, they would live in a trailer park. It's those kinds of people that mm. might moon you. I don't think it is a way that we say goodbye, Brian. We've got an American audience. We've got a British audience. We've got people from around the world. I can't let you sit there and say that (laughs) Aussies moon each other as they say goodbye. We don't. We may give each other the finger, but we certainly don't moon each other. Oh, yeah.
1: We're not as basic as mooning each other. We just give each other the finger. And uh, those two actions are not interrelated, I would like to demonstrate um but uh, okay look we don't i was i was taking Mm. a little bit of of license there however in australia in the late 80s this is how basic we are we had a or were back then we had a toy called a Mooney.
0: i saw it i saw that in the 80s You have seen it i know what yeah why don't you describe what it is
1: it's so it it is this overweight guy bald guy um who you stuck this thing with suction cups on the back. Uh, window of your car and it had this air tube with a little little press function on it that you could, if someone cut you off or you cut somebody off, rather than sticking your finger, finger up, as Troy just said, you could moon them. And mm-hmm. you could say to the kids in the back seat, give the Mooney a pump. And they would- Pump the Mooney and the Mooney would drop its pants and it would moon the car that was behind you. <laughs> so that's all I've been thinking of this whole conversation. I try, I'm trying it out of my head, but I go, there's there's a Mooney. I remember a Mooney. Now, my family did not have one. I, I want to declare we are not one of those families that do moon each other goodbye. Um, however, it, it, uh, it definitely was a thing in Australia in 35 years ago.
0: Mm, okay, yeah, I remember seeing those those things in the U.S., uh, and I remember my parents felt quite offended by their existence for, I guess, a variety of reasons. But I remember, I remember, I remember being really—I mean, I was a kid when when this was happening. i mean, being very kind of confused just by their existence and knowing knowing that that term was something that was used about us. Then seeing it, you know, this little doll that people hung in their car that would, you know show it's asked to people it, it was it was strange um but you're the first person that's ever that's ever brought that up in a in an interview um that that'd be brian that would be <laughs> brian and totally hey elgin can yeah. i ask you another question yeah. sure. just talking about your,
2: your family because i know that a lot of people who have been born into hardcore pentecostal churches yeah have a very different experience to those of us that were recruited even when we were recru- mm. recruited quite young how's how's your relationship with your parents now um are, are you are you angry at them are you forgiving of them have they left are they in where, where do you see them um at?
0: it's uh fractious i would say um i have um i guess without without going into too much detail and trying to protect a protect a bit of bit of myself and them in this scenario um if you have a conversation with someone and in that conversation, you try to explain that the circumstances that you experienced with that person were abusive. Um, and the response to that is, no, it wasn't, that's not how I saw it. Um, it it makes it difficult to have a relationship with with those people um if they're not willing to to really examine and 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 in the to, to examine in, in the cold hard light of day what um you know they, the the environment that they expose you to uh and i've been trying to have that conversation for years uh with my parents but it it never quite gets there that they're, they're not really able to to look at it and so and they're they're yeah so it's it's not great i'm trying to work on it and actually even just recently i feel like i might have had some sort of breakthrough there we'll see I, i'm not going to get my hopes up um but yeah it's been it's been quite challenging and and i i think i i guess to, to put a um to really kind of bring it into 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 crystallization like um so i mentioned this this advent of these these kids who were um who experienced this coerced adoption um a uh, a guest on my show um used the term um a ticket to heaven i i was i was a ticket to heaven i was conceived as a ticket to heaven for these uh, these adults uh and whilst i didn't experience that coerced adoption i resonate strongly with that term um we were we were conceived as tickets to heaven for our parents um and I actually have used that term with my parents and be like, this is, this is what we were. Uh, and the response is, Oh no, 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 you weren't. No, you weren't. That's not how we viewed you. Um, and it's like, well, you're telling me that that's not how you viewed us, but every single aspect of all of our interactions, uh, is built on this foundational assumption um and if they're not really willing to recognize that then i want to have a relationship that's grounded in reality that's not grounded in, in fantasy so I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for them to to really do the examination work there
2: and are they still in the group or have they left too
0: uh it's debatable not 100 sure um one of them i think is still in one of them says that they've left but i'm not not 100 clear exactly what that means um I, I think there's 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 a lot of shades of gray here uh and i i don't ask too many questions quite honestly because i kind of don't I, don't I don't really want to know um it's 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 a like is 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 it the darker shade of gray or the lighter shade of gray i don't really want to know until i get a hundred percent black or white answer to that uh and so because it's very frustrating having those conversations about like, okay, if you don't, if you believe in some of it, why do you believe this portion of it? Uh, and why are you willing to discount some of it, but not all of it? Uh, it's just a frustrating conversation to have. So I prefer not to get involved there. Can we, um, I'm just looking at time here and I'm not trying to change the subject from from that, but um, we're kind of, we've been, I think it's been over an hour now. Um, And we haven't even talked about Christmas. Um, And I want to, and that would, and I want to, I want to get something on that subject on, on the record. Uh, And so, and this has been fascinating so so far. I feel like we could just keep going for hours, Um, but I do want to make sure we get something on Christmas on tape. Um, And so, (laughs) excuse me. My original conception here was that the Christmas was weird for us growing up in the moonies because Christ didn't complete his mission. He was not meant to die. All the rest. Um. So I would love to hear from from you guys who who came from a I guess more standard Christian denomination, like what Christmas was about and how you celebrated that. Um. And then would love to contrast that with my experience. So can I can I ask you guys to address that?
2: Yeah, sure. So I was born into a family that celebrated Christ- Christmas from a you know, a non-religious perspective. I mean, we certainly gave each other Christmas cards that said, you know, Silent Night, and and we would sing the, you know, the, the carols and everything. So we knew there was definitely a. Christian reason, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, as they used mm. to say. Um, so w- we didn't, we didn't shy away from that. We didn't avoid that. And you'd find in Australia, you will, f- you'll get people that not aren't necessarily churchgoers who get upset at the idea of removing the the Christian message from Christmas you know oh you know just because we've got muslims doesn't mean we should take away the you know the white anglo-saxon protestant mm, picture of jesus yeah. from you know so it becomes very politicized in in some ways um but um interestingly enough with christmas when i joined the revival center because of their influence by the um jehovah's witnesses and and i i want to stress that i really do believe that this is something that's sort of been underreported for those of us that were in the Revival Centers, and it could have been an an aspect of my postgraduate study, which I did on the Revival Centers, by the way, um, as an adult, but they had bought into this idea that Christmas wasn't in the Bible in the sense of celebrating Christmas. Certainly the stories are there, but in the same way that Jehovah's Witnesses didn't celebrate Christmas, the Revival Mm. Centers didn't celebrate Christmas either. Interesting. Okay. So, um it wasn't that you would be shunned or kicked out if you did. Um people would still take the day off and they would, you know, maybe have lunch together, etc, but it was, you know, really stressed to us that Jesus was born probably in October because it was the time of the young lambs in Israel. I don't know if this is true, this is just what we were told. <laughs> um and so, you know, we would look at a lot of the um Babylon mystery religion was a it was an anti-catholic book that would show about the the um bringing in of the pagan ceremonies and pagan holidays. So we didn't really make a big noise about Christmas and we didn't really make a big noise about Easter. And we would actually mock people that, that did make a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people in the revival center were not allowed to have eggs at Christmas um because that Why? was the, oh, sorry, sorry, at, at Easter, um because that oh. was the pagan symbol. Um, okay. And so, yeah, so there was, there was that kind of thing. Um, and yet, For me, because I still had my family who hadn't joined the group, I was quite happy to get presents. I was quite happy to to go on about, you know, Santa, et cetera. Now, I say all that to say that my religious bias was that Christmas was a pagan holiday that we had brought in, um, and, you know, that's what it was. When I joined the Assemblies of God, though, they were very much still all about Christmas and Christmas was a big deal. And we had special services on Christmas day. Um, we would have carols by candlelight in the park and, you know, sing songs and Christmas was a big deal. And Christmas was something that we we certainly celebrated, but I always knew that it had pagan roots. I always mm. knew that it, you know, it was not something that was necessarily biblical to celebrate the birth of Christ, et cetera. And so for me, um, it was, it was always more about family and it was about my own family. Um, it was something that I considered a connection with, with my family who were, who were non-religious more than it was with people in the church. But that said, there were people who hadn't been through the revival center experience who, to whom Christmas was a a big deal and was, mm-hmm. as it was a very serious thing. And, and maybe Brian, you, you'd be more better to, or excuse me, you'd be better to speak about about that coming not from the first cult. You only had the one.
1: No, I only had the one. That's right. <laughs> I wasn't quite as damaged. But I, I do think, Um, yeah, I grew up with, with no religious upbringing, as I said okay. before, so it was very much... Um, Christmas was a time of, of celebration hanging out we certainly didn't acknowledge Jesus um besides on the odd card much like Troy said we we okay. certainly didn't go to church as a family anything like that it wasn't until I came into the the church at, at 17 or 18 that it was at that time there was an acknowledgment of the importance of Christmas and it was certainly touted that that was Jesus's birthday and um Embarrassingly, I do remember being at some services singing "Happy Birthday to Jesus." Really? And yes, wow. absolutely. Wow! Um, and at that time, did you really
2: do that? Did you sing "Happy Birthday to Jesus"?
1: <laughs> Most certainly did, and I remember right, wanting so you to. You should have
2: been doing that in October, dude. Should have happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's right. But I remember being so embarrassed, so cringy, and 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 those who will listen to our our podcast will will know that I'm really not sure I was ever a very good Christian. I was I was spending my whole time trying to convince myself that it was actually legit. But um, so that that frightened me a little bit. That um, that cringiness. But but much like Troy, like I I knew its pagan roots as well. And even things like, and and I remember having conversations with people at church going, you you know, the tree has nothing to do with Jesus. The three wise men aren't mentioned in the Bible, Um, you know, all all that sort of stuff. And um, it just happens
2: to fall on the same day as the birth of the sun, God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was all these coincidences. So I think Easter was a bigger thing for okay. us, you know, okay. it, because that it was the death. It was it yeah. was the, the the great sacrifice, and it was the only reason that we all could be secure in in going to to heaven. Um, okay. Christmas was just a celebratory time, I, I guess, but it was. Um, it was wasn't really. It, I never found it compulsory. Come along to church on on Christmas morning. Um, okay. Sometimes would, sometimes wouldn't. There wasn't a great deal of pressure. I guess it was All certainly right. seen as something big, though, because this is this yeah. is the birth of your savior. Yeah.
0: Um, so, how did it happen in in Mooney Land? So it was it was a it was a bizarre circumstance, and you actually you mentioned Easter as well. I'm going to talk about Easter as well because that's a, that's a, another bizarre circumstance. But um, Christmas so we had this idea that it, we were taught that christians were were, were wrong for celebrating christmas cuz it wasn't really that big a deal because christ failed um it wasn't like it we, wasn't really what we should be celebrating uh and what we should be celebrating um was what's called God's Day, which is the first of January, um, which is the sort of Unification Church's holy day. Uh it's meant to be like a Christmas equivalent. It's where you're kind of, I guess, giving thanks to God and to true parents. So Reverend Moon and his wife were called the true parents. Um, uh, you're meant to be, it's meant to be a day dedicated towards God and to true parents, effectively. And it's 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 again uncoincidentally very close to Christmas, not quite on Christmas, but it's on New Year's Day. Um, and this is meant to be the the, the big day in the in the in the Mooney tradition, and so we had this scenario where on Christmas it was like, okay, we're not really meant to be celebrating this, but we know, you know, your your grandparents and your your cousins and your aunties and uncles who who weren't Mo- Mo- Moonies, like like Christmas is a big deal for them, uh, and so we're still going to do christmas for for, for them we're going to we're going to do like a family christmas on christmas just to kind of just to kind of help out the family was kind of, was kind of what it, what it, what it was like uh and so from the outside we would actually have like a, a fairly normal christmas quite honestly Chris, christmas tree like almost like secular um uh you know christmas tree gifts under the tree uh, grandparents and aunties and uncles if they live close by would would come over we'd have a big meal maybe some other family would come by in the afternoon and we'd hang out um so it just kind of it looked like normal on the on the outside um and there there would be some praying um you know i guess at least giving um giving the nod to jesus for for being born um uh, you know thanking him for for doing that but there was always there was just this like undercurrent of like this is just for show and all the christians have got it wrong because we need to be actually celebrating on the first uh first of january and then you'd go through this lull uh and i actually remember my parents would do this they'd be like okay we want to get you presents for christmas thank you to my parents for doing that because not every parent's not all parents did or or could do that. So I'm appreciative of that. But they had this thing where it's like, well, you're meant to get presents on God's Day, really. Uh so we'll give you like some on Christmas, but we also want to give you something on God's Day as well. So sometimes we would kind of like have to wait a bit for the good stuff on God's Day. Uh, but as a kid, you really want the good stuff as early as possible. So that week kind of sucked between between Christmas and and God's Day. Uh and then on God's Day, so this is a big deal this is a so-called holy day in the in the unification church so growing up in the dc area people from all around people from as far away as like west virginia which is like three four hour drive away would all come to the dc church um uh and they'd start getting there at like i guess maybe like eight nine ten o'clock at night uh in preparation for this this midnight ceremony basically uh and and people are by the way Depending on the year, some people are arriving wearing these white robes. Uh, not nothing, nothing culty at all about wearing silk white robes uh to a to a ceremony. So you get like hundreds of these grown-ups um going there wearing these silk silk white robes, filing into the um like the sanctuary of this this DC church. And then you have all these kids, like there's hundreds of kids just running around in the basement with maybe a few caretakers looking after them, maybe none none at all, um, watching videos or stuff. Um getting into trouble um uh and the parents would attend this ceremony uh very like somber religious ceremony uh and and actually on on the it would be sort of like coordinated globally so you'd get this message from reverend moon um uh that would be like disseminated to all the church leaders and being like okay for this this upcoming year um this is um these are the priorities for the year this is the this is the motto for the year uh so each year on january 1st would be given this motto that would come down from from on high uh something like i don't know the year 1985 is like let us let us rebuild in the let us rebuild the nation in the image of god for the glory of true parents or something like that like that would be the the I don't know the, 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 motto for the year, but every year it was like a big deal to have a, the, the motto revealed effectively. Um, and so they'd have this ceremony for a couple hours doing that from like midnight to maybe two, 3 AM, something like that. Um, and then around like, then people would kind of like disperse, like have a bit of food. Uh, and I remember that the church always smelled like Korean food. It smelled like bulgogi. If you guys, if you guys know bulgogi, uh, because they would have these like these Korean women who would just cook these like massive Korean feasts so yeah the whole whole building would smell like Korean food bulgogi and kimchi basically you'd eat some Korean food and then around like 5, 4, 5 a.m uh and in in celebration uh you would play these these group games there's this Korean game called ute um did you actually I have to ask Troy did you ever come across this game called ute when you when you live in Korea? um I, I don't know but if you tell me the game
2: maybe okay. I'll, I'll be able okay. to okay
0: so it's a, it's it's very much a group it's it's a group game you you might have like 20 10 20 people uh in a single game all kneeling sitting around a blanket um and kneeling on the blanket and basically um you also uh you're you're alternating the the, the team uh, sorry team members are alternating going ar- going around the um around the blanket so so on my turn what I do is I take I think there's four sticks there're these four sticks um and you you throw them in the air and they land on the blanket and you have a board and your game pieces move around on the board depending on how the sticks fall so the sticks are kind of like the dice um um but then you have and the sticks are maybe like 12 inches long something like that um and maybe like an inch or two thick um and what happens is everyone on your team yells uh so there's there's uh five, I think depending on how they fall, they can either be at well, zero through six, I think. Um, uh, and you have to yell in Korean the number that you want it to fall on. I remember I think Ute is five, and Ute Mo is either five or six or something like that. So let's say I wanted my team needed a five or six. Um, we would all be screaming, Ute Yout, Mo, Ute Mo, Ute Mo, run it around this this blanket. Uh, and the the idea is that when you're if the team is yelling loudly enough and with enough spiritual uh help and influence they can they can influence the tumbling of the sticks in the air as their teammate throws uh, and that can then influence how you perform on the game board the other the other thing is the the opposing team can then can also influence influence the 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 tumbling of the sticks so you might have the opposing team yelling for a one when you needed a six because that would be you know the 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 least advantageous to you and it would help them out so we would have this big room so wait let me pause there because that do, do you know anything about this game? Um
2: so no, I never played that game, but I will say group games, yeah, is so Korean though yeah so we used to say play Samyuku, which was the three six nine game okay. um there was there was a whole heap of different games that yeah. you play um but usually as adults you play the same games that you played as children yeah. um, but with alcohol
0: yeah okay
2: so in korean culture they turned Mm. into massive drinking games
0: yeah i could actually this would actually be an awesome drinking game come to come to think of it this would be so much fun uh there was no drinking happening when i when i was playing it um but so you'd have like they had this big big room that could hold a few hundred people in in, in the in the church and then you had these like um you had maybe like five six seven maybe ten different games of Ute happening um Uh, And there was a tournament. There's a a Ute tournament. Um, So uh, you you can imagine, let's say you have 10 10 groups of 20 people all screaming. Like, it's a very intense uh, atmosphere in there. Uh, And then it's a tournament that you get, like, the teams whittle down. And then it goes to, like, a final championship. Uh, And the winner, the final winning team would get, like... I don't know. Maybe each person would get a hundred bucks or something like that. Or sometimes they would get a gold watch. Like they would, they would just get shit gifted to them by the by the Moon family. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I, I don't didn't, think I they ever. They didn't get won.
2: a. They didn't get a, a special place in heaven because I think no, you
0: didn't. It Unfortunately, you didn't. Quite not. easy
2: for them for the Moon family to give away those kinds of things. Um, yeah. Just listening to you, I think yep. it's interesting because I, I mean, I lived in Asia for twelve years, and one thing that is very much reverenced in Asia is the New Year.
0: And whether mm. that's the
2: the lunar new year, as, yeah. you know, we we know it as Chinese New Year, or in Korea it was called Solnal, um, and then there's also the solar new year, which is sort of the Western New Year. Mm. Um, and every single country I lived in, January the the 31st and January the first, mm. they were huge days. Yeah, and the way that the like, for example, in China. They will have huge concerts on the, the Chinese New Year Eve, yeah. the solar New Year's, but yeah. they will do the same thing on the, um, uh, you know, on the solar New Year, the yeah. the the Western New Year. So yeah. it's just interesting that God's day is January 1st. I'm thinking from an Asian perspective, of course
0: it is. What other yeah. day would it be? That's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. So it, it completely dovetails with culturally coming from that from that part of the world. And um, I think that's
2: what's amazing in hearing the the stories and the things that you're saying. I'm thinking, this is just so Korean.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, like,
2: this, <laughs> this has got nothing to do with God. This has just got to do with, um, what was his name? Sun Myung Moon.
0: Sun it, Sun Myung Moon.
2: Yeah, Sun Myung Moon. It's just just the fact that he was Korean. Yeah. He started a, a, just another Korean cult, didn't he? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, I mean, that was kind of, then you'd go back home and try and nap it off, and that would be your... That would be your God's day. I'm sure come to think of it. I'm sure my parents were coerced to donate a lot. i would I would imagine on that day that seems very, very likely. Like here's the motto, by the way, you need to contribute a thousand dollars to to make this happen this year. i It would shock me if that didn't happen. Um and then the, so I just want to circle back to this. You mentioned Easter, and I think it's quite interesting. Like so we because we had this 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 view in the moonies that, um, easter was like that that that, sorry that that christ wasn't meant to die um we had this conception that like easter was almost like a tragedy um because you know if you're celebrating the resurrection by definition you're also celebrating like the death of this of this guy uh and we had this this idea that like he wasn't meant to die and it actually was kind of a great tragedy when he did die and then moon came over to take over the mantle so again we had this idea that like oh christians got it wrong they shouldn't be celebrating this this is actually kind of a tragic tragic day as opposed to a day a day of celebration um they've they've got it wrong because they've interpreted the bible wrong so it again it had this undercurrent of like they got it wrong and it it shouldn't be, shouldn't really be celebrated in the way that it is.
2: So did the Moonies present themselves or or try to present themselves as more mainstream Christian when it suited them? Because I know Shincheonji will do that. Shincheonji have these different levels. And so when you go to their first, you know, it's first levels of their meetings, because I have actually been um, to some Shincheonji stuff. Yeah. I was really interested in it at one point. Um, And, and they will present themselves as being very, very Christian, but the more you go in, the deeper the layers are, then, you know, and, and it's the same with the Mormons. The Mormons want to be accepted as, yeah. you know, we're just another Christian denomination. But then when you start going into the temple, it gets all wacky and weird, or at yeah. least from a Christian perspective, it gets all wacky and weird, right? Christians are wacky and weird themselves. Um, but yeah, did they present themselves as Christian when it suited them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. And, and it, it's it's identical. So so in in the early phases, they don't really present all the layers they don't present the whole oh moon is the messiah uh you know jesus failed in his mission all of this sort of stuff it, it, that's that's you wait till the end to, to to get there so in the early in the early days it's actually not even about christianity it's about peace and love and saving the world uh and then over time they start they start laying layering in additional layers additional layers so yeah absolutely they they, they all they they think like any cult they kind of crave legitimacy and so they they try to at least in the early stages like present themselves as as similar to other other religions as possible um, but then once you once you dive deeper, you start unpeeling all these all these layers. And I, I mean, to give you another example, example there is that there's a huge amount of, of anti-Semitism in the Unification Church. Uh, and it's not it's not part of their their public image, but part and parcel to this this idea that um Jesus wasn't supposed to die and the Israelites killed him. Um, it's there's there's very anti-Semitic views. Um, they've tried to scrub this off the internet, but they've in the past, um, you know, I remember being taught as a kid that um the reason that the Jews suffered the Holocaust is because they, um, because they killed Jesus when he was on Earth. Um, that's very, uh, that's yeah.
2: that's very common in Christianity too, mm. for what it's worth. Yeah, that, you know, you, you will hear that in in mainstream Christian churches. Yeah,
0: I believe it. I believe yeah, it because I mean, the, the the
2: anti-Semitism is is biblical.
1: Yeah, but the weird thing about that is Christianity hangs its hat on that this it was prophesied thousands and thousands of years ago that Jesus would need to die because it was the only way that we could actually be cleansed and of our sin and enter heaven. But we're pissed off with the Jews for whacking Jesus up on a cross. Like it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's a really weird thing. I mean, I, I find it strange that Christians are anti Jewish as yeah. a result because That's without them we we wouldn't have had Easter, and Easter yeah. was our big day. Easter was, you know, Easter was the day that we went. If we didn't have this, we wouldn't have Christianity.
0: Yeah, yeah it actually it feels like the anti semitism is almost more congruous with the Unification Church's theology that like he wasn't meant to die. Um, but yeah, if you're if core to your belief is that he was meant to die, then why would you be mad at those people for for bringing you the salvation that you've that that you're asking? Yeah, that, I mean. That's why we call it
2: Good Friday. And I remember as a child saying, asking my mother, because we weren't from a you know strong Christian family, why is it called Good Friday? It's because they strung him up and beat him up and nailed him to a cross. And it's like, uh, so why Jesus. do they call it Good Friday?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, um, I think we're overtime here, guys. We think we're at like like an hour thirty nearly. Uh, it's because we've been having fun. We've been I know. Having fun I know. Chatting. I know. And- yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, Com-
1: comparing scars. But Moonie, look, I've, I'm fascinated by the Moonies. I mean, I, I, Troy and I both know our shit backwards and and forwards, and have have bad our scars. But the Moonies have fascinated me. I don't know about you, Troy. I'm I'm pretty sure that you you would have known a bit about them having lived in Korea. But it's incredible.
2: Well, it was it was actually I didn't know about them so much from living in Korea as much as I knew about them because of the whole cult thing that I did. Um, whilst not reala- realizing I was still in a cult. Right. So when mm. I was reading a lot of the, 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 the books on cults and, you know, Yanyalala and, um, mm. uh, Stephen Hassan and these other people, of course, the Moonies, Jonestown, you know, all these sort of yeah. stories from the seventies, the Moonies were, were, there was a lot of shock and, um, horror around the Moonies, the. Uh, Hari Krishnas, yeah, um, and and other groups. Yep. C- certainly, in the seventies in the US, it was a big yep. deal.
0: Yep, yeah, there, yeah, it was a big deal. There's a moment um, in the the movie Airplane from the from the seventies. Um, there's a moment where they're they're in an airport, uh, and like basically cults. They're, they're making a joke about cults fundraising in an airport, uh, and it's if I remember correctly, they there's Moonies and the Hari Krishnas. Uh, are there in that in that scene there may be someone else but i'm pretty sure those are those are the two um so yeah it was kind of culturally like they were culturally kind of known and relevant back in the 70s and they, they kind of they, they fell off the cultural radar but they've always but they've always been there and they left this generation of of kids um like me who, were, who grew up with, within it as a as a result of that
1: yeah, it's it's scary stuff. We've we've certainly all got our scars from our our um, our times. But uh, I, I guess I mean I personally come away from this going, yeah, I was in a cult, <laughs> but but the moon is hell. I mean, imagine being brought up in that. So there, there's always another story which reminds mm. you that your world wasn't too bad and not quite as nutty in some sort of way but and and you know it, again, I've been educated before this a Mooney to me was a little doll which flashed its ass mm-hmm. at someone who cut you off. So you know I, I mean for me it's it's been an amazing and interesting um time to swap stories and I think it's something it'd be great to do again in the future because yeah. uh, I think there's so much more to say there's so many more similarities mm. than we give it credit for even though, it is a spectrum um, of cultishness, and we may consider ourselves further back down that spectrum. And you're you're up in that nutty world, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do think that there's so many similarities. And and really, I, I think what you said before about being cut from the same cloth just rings mm. true in so yeah. many ways. Any of these little splinter groups can shoot off in any direction and they can add their own little pieces of doctrine on, which turns them in to something more weird and wonderful and attracts a a different bunch of people. And I I do think that's generally what has happened in so many ways. I mean, we even have spoken many times about the roots of Pentecostalism being, you know, 110 years ago or whatever, and from that the the hundreds if not thousands of different variations of that. Up to snake handling Pentecostals to more garden variety Pentecostals. You know what I mean? It's it's just bizarre. People just mm. shoot off with some different sort of weird and and wacky marketing ploy. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Well, that, that's exactly right. I mean, I I was thinking that then that I can remember living in Korea and being told that one of the Korean creation myths that had sort of incorporated some science was that a bird from the Korean peninsula went up into Mongolia, which is where genetically the Koreans come from, and that's okay. a scientific fact now. So, um, the, this bird went up to the Korean, uh, sorry, up up to Mongolia, brought the seed from Mongolia. Back to the Korean peninsula and dropped it. And from there sprang the first Korean person. Yeah. Right. And I remember listening to that story and thinking, wow, you know, that's that's hilarious. Don't they know it was two naked people in a garden with a talking <laughs> snake? It's and 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 I said that out loud at the time, and you know, we, we all laughed, but that's it. You know, one person's wacky religious beliefs is another person's truth. And just because ours is 2000 years old, well, our once upon a time beliefs is 2000 years old, and has got a whole heap of historical credibility, yada, yada, doesn't mean it's any less wacky. The only reason that we would think that a Jewish guy being strung up on a Friday rising again on a Sunday is okay is because- we grew up with that all around us. And, and I guess Elgin for you growing up, you know, with, with this sort of Mooney beliefs, that was the norm.
0: Yeah. It was just, yeah. And you just, you just, you just accept that you take for granted. What's what your parents tell you, right. Uh, It's it's just human nature to do that as a, as a child, you're a sponge for whatever your parents put in your brain. Uh, And that's what happened to be put in my brain. Um, But, there's lots of other stuff that gets put in lots of other people's brains. Um, yeah, you just you just accept, right?
2: That's right. Well, yeah. Merry Christmas, Elgin.
0: Yeah, and, Merry and
2: yeah. Merry
1: Merry Festivus. Yeah, Merry Festivus. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Thank Merry you. Solstice.
2: Yep. It's only seven more days until God's Day, or as we like to call it, New Year's Day. And so, you know, Happy Holidays, bro.
0: Thank you. And yeah, Happy Holidays to you guys. Um, before we go, can um, can you just tell people where where they can find you? I just want to give you give you a sec to to plug yourselves. And and we shall return that favor as well. No. So for us, obviously search
1: on all of your podcast platforms, but I was a teenage fundamentalist on Facebook. Same. Search there, Twitter, on Instagram, and we do have a, a Reddit subgroup as well that I don't oh, okay. really I don't I don't dive into that. Troy's the the Reddit king. Um but yeah, on all those we're not on TikTok. We're we're Gen X's. We're not in on TikTok. Mm. Um, you know, maybe one day we will. And, and that'll be a good day, but for now we're not. So okay. search us, you'll find us Um we're, a, we're taking a break over the Australian summer and we'll yeah. be running some repeats during this time. Like we did last summer and we'll come back with new episodes in March. How about you Elgin? How can our listeners find you?
0: Yeah. So you can find me again on, on all the podcast platforms. It's falling out. Um, you'll find it. Uh, you can search for my name if you want. It makes it easier. E L G E N. Um, don't think there's any anything else that uses that string anyway you'll find it falling out with Elgin straight um uh, also on Twitter falling at falling out pod uh Instagram at falling out pod. um and my website is uh fallingoutpod.com um I link to a couple a couple videos that I've done on YouTube there uh that sort of kind of helped to set the scene for for some of this uh, the context of the moonies um and yeah I'm taking a break now as well uh this will come out ideally fingers crossed christmas day um uh and then i hope to come back early 23 um with uh with season four of falling out
1: oh sorry we're, got... we're both we're both season four coming up oh, there so we go
0: okay. Then, okay
1: so we're completely in sync so there we go That's it's it's going to be a good thing, but uh, yeah, we will drop. Let's drop this Christmas day. It'll be, it'll be a good Christmas. I think we should. I
0: think we should. I think we should. We can, we can make it happen. It's not, uh, yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, we can.
1: Um, It's going to, it's going to be good. And may the, may the uh, Lord's blessings be with you
2: next year. I thought you were about to say, may the force be with you then, Brian, I could hear you saying, may the force Mm. be with you.
1: That's, that's
0: more of my religion. That could, I, I could, I could get down with that. Everyone may the force be with you in 2023. Take care. I'm going to hit stop recording now. Cheers. Folks, there you have it. I want to say thank you to Brian and Troy for getting involved. Uh, This was a real pleasure to do this episode with them. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I want to make a comment on the subject matter here. I think it's interesting to share stories with people who come from similar high control groups. And one of the things that stuck out to me when I was listening to this and when I was recording it, and one thing that I wanted to capture on tape with these guys, and to be honest, something that jumped out to me immediately when I listened to their podcast was the way that sex was twisted and manipulated by the adults in the room and their lives to be something shameful and deceitful and demonic and that mechanism of you know either prostitutes transmitting the demonic or having a wank connecting you to someone for all the eternity in the spirit world those are two sides of the same coin they are cut from the same cloth and that i think is really interesting to document and what i think is happening there is the following. I think in both the Christian fundamentalist community and in the Moonies, I don't think either of those claims were actually part of any doctrine. I think they came from the minds they were created in the minds of the so-called grown-ups in the room, the people who bought into this ideology that if their kids had sex, it'd be the worst thing in the world and they needed to scare their shit out of them. And The ideology gave them the license to create any scary-ass story that they wanted to, to scare the shit out of their kids. And that's had devastating consequences on these guys, on me, on anyone who grew up in these organizations. And I'm really glad that we could capture that. And after listening to this interview again, I wanted to circle back and make that point that I don't think either of those claims are, are are ideological canon in either doctrine, but people who grew up in both of those environments were subjected to not just that, but hundreds of other equally ridiculous and harmful claims about sex. And to circle back to another topic of conversation here, if any of that sounds familiar, but you don't think you're actually in a cult, then what? Then maybe what? Yeah, it's a hard thing to admit to, but you might want to think about that. If the mechanisms of control are the same, what does that say about the thing that's controlling you? Finally, on that note, I want to share a resource that Brian and Troy shared with me. The link will be in the show notes. They referred me to an organization called Recovering from Religion, which provides free counseling Free secular counseling, I should say, to people who are questioning their religious faith. This sounds like a fucking awesome organization. I'm delighted to have found out about them and delighted to include their contact details in the show notes for this episode and probably in every episode in the future. I should also say Merry Christmas to you if it is Christmas. Happy New Year. I hope you're doing awesome stuff with people that you love, whatever that stuff is and both Falling Out and I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist will be back sometime in early 2023. You'll be able to find links to everything that was discussed here in the show notes to this episode as well. Thank you. Take care. Be good. Talk to you in 2023.